Dear Asian Americans, let's celebrate, let's support, let's inspire. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is your host of the show, Jerry Wan. And whether this is your first time listening to the Asian Americans or your 51st, I really, really do appreciate you tuning in and sharing a little bit of your day with us. We just passed the 50-episode mark, and it's been a good time to reflect and a good time to celebrate and to look forward as we celebrate with our 50 guests. We now have all of their episodes available on our YouTube channel. You can look us up at The Asian Americans. And we've had a chance to reflect on all that, what that means. Um, I started the show back on March 2nd as a present to my daughter on her first birthday. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been a quick pace. And um, we're able to get 50 episodes in the matter of about 11 weeks or so. Going forward, you can expect an episode every Tuesday and every Friday. And we'll try to keep that cadence going for as long as we can. Um, you can find that information about this show and all other shows in a new community that we've created called the Asian Podcast Network. It's a place on Facebook where podcasters, guests, fans, and industry professionals can come and network, meet each other, help each other, and ultimately grow the Asian American podcast and storytelling pie so that we can all continue to do what we love, which is to sell stories, our stories, that truly matter. I want to thank AJ for coming on the show and being a guest here on Dear Asian Americans. Really excited to share this story with you. He goes into some things that he doesn't share often too much personally and really explores why he does what he does and what keeps him going. So really excited. Thank you again for tuning in. And without further ado, here now is my conversation with AJ. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Asian Americans, wherever you are and whenever you may be listening to this. We wish you all the health and safety in the world. Um, things are a little bit wonky here in the middle of May. Businesses are oddly opening for some strange reason, but we think everybody should stay home and we will see each other uh, in person, having dinner, enjoying each other, and really enjoying the entertainment and enjoying ourselves from the creations of amazing people who've brought us so much emotion, uh, sometimes tears, mostly smiles in the ways that our fellow Asian Americans have used their gifts, their talents to really entertain us. My guest today is one of those people who has done that, who has been doing that for so many years. You've heard his music, you've heard his name, you may have actually been a member of one of his many concerts as he's toured globally. I'm such an honor, so happy and excited to talk to my friend AJ Raphael today. Welcome to the show, AJ. Hey, thank you so much for that. Wow, that was a great intro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think just, we, yeah. we, no, we, we look at people who, you know, the often... I guess the stereotype or the joke is, you know, Asians have a very prescribed path, right? You you pick sure. a something that's a very linear path. Um, I know, you know, people in your family have gone that path, people in my family as well. And I think it's really inspiring to see somebody uh, discover their gifts, um, non-traditional gifts, as music is in your situation, and to just go, you know, off the deep end, if you will, and commit yourself to it. Um, yeah. Obviously, timing and uh, just the riding the wave of certain platforms, uh, you couldn't have timed it better with the resurgence and with the popularity of YouTube and other social medium channels. But um, sure. that's not independent of the talent and the hard work that you continue to put in. So really, really grateful for your time. I'm curious to learn throughout the conversation um, about what you've been up to during the time at home, if you are getting to 
if you have created some masterpiece music that none of us are ready for. But uh, <laughs> I, I want to start with AJ in his earlier years. Uh, we know you're from Riverside. We know um, you started your musical career early. But uh, take us back to little AJ. Um, how did your family yeah. end up in Riverside? What were your circumstances there like? And um, tell us a little bit about AJ growing up. Sure. Uh, well, shout outs to the city that I actually grew up in, which is right next to Riverside, Moreno Valley. So mm. um, that yeah is also in the Inland Empire, and that's where our first house was. Um, but you know, my mom and dad met uh, in the eighties. My mom was already here um, because of a tra- another tragic story, um, and I'm I'm foreshadowing. Um, unfortunately my mom's first husband came to America um, and he got in a motorcycle accident and passed away and um, my mom was the only one who was allowed to go get him out of the hospital to get his body to bring back to his family so I know it's it's crazy even talking about it now because I always talk about my dad and his death um, but Recently, I've been kind of diving deep into what my mom has gone through to get to this country. And um, yeah, I don't even mean to start on this crazy thing, but like she came and got his body and, um, you know, had to find closure in that way. But luckily, she met my dad, who was um, he was already divorced and had a kid, had another had a child. Um, which is my older half-sister, Eileen. And, uh, you know, they met in happy circumstances, and she joined his choir. So he was a choir conductor. Um, He was a songwriter, pianist. Um, He was, like, the best musician ever. And he had a a competitive choir, actually, that he would take around L.A. as a Filipino Tagalog uh, singing choir. And they would win competitions and stuff and all these things. And my mom became a part of that choir and a part of, you know, that legacy that he was already building on his own. Mm -hmm. Um, Fast forward a little bit and they had me in 1989. Um, They got married and they moved from L.A. So I lived in L.A. for a second. They moved from L.A. to Moreno Valley because my mom uh, got a job as a nurse in uh, Loma Linda which is Inland Empire. So that's how we ended up in the in the Inland Empire. I think maybe my dad wanted to get away from kind of the chaos and busyness of LA, but also acknowledge that my mom had a job opportunity out this way. Uh, we ended up still driving every Sunday to my dad's churches that he would play at mm. in LA. So a lot of my journey growing up is every single weekend we drive to LA. That's where his sisters are as well. They sang in the choir with him. And he'd play, uh, we grew up Catholic. Uh, he would play not only at Catholic churches, but at uh, born again churches, Methodist, different denominations. Mm-hmm. To me, his religion was music, you know? So that's a big thing that I take with me is that he didn't care that it was different religions or whatever. He just wanted to share his gift of music. So um, fast forward a little bit, and uh, he's teaching me piano, five years old. Um, My sister was born, um, well, she's only a year and a half younger than me. 
and uh, we're doing music together for the for one of my dad's churches here now in Moreno Valley. So we found a church in Myrna Valley, which is cool because we wanted a home base because we kept hopping churches and stuff. And my mom and dad had me playing clarinet and my sister playing violin, which is cool. So that was for like his choirs every Sunday. And he'd play at all the masses, you know, sometimes. And um, fast forward a little later. So I'm nine years old. He creates a children's choir and I start singing. And I wow. don't normally sing. Um, my dad really pushed piano on me, so I was nothing but rehearsing piano. And you know, I had other teachers as well. And my sister also classical violin and stuff. Um, and then uh, when I was 10, uh, my dad wanted to have a surgery to stop sweating in his hands. Because he's playing piano at church, he has rags everywhere like bandanas and stuff, you name it. And I remember seeing this. I never thought anything of it until my dad told us that he wanted to have surgery for it. I didn't know that um, that surgery um, involves, you know, getting into sweat gland, which is like you have to go inside your chest, right? You know, it's something more complicated than I think it was. Um, So he wanted to get rid of that problem. He's in the hospital for two weeks. It's his birthday. We're singing around the hospital because there ends up being complications because a doctor uh, effed up and cut something else. Hmm. Um, I mean, that's very basic (laughs) of of what actually happened. But he ends up catching pneumonia. And uh, three weeks in the hospital, he passes away. And... uh, I just remember it being so crazy because we went to go visit him. He's in tubes and stuff and, you know, he couldn't even talk. But the last time I went to go visit him, I'll always remember because I came from Knott's Berry Farm because we're just trying to distract ourselves. And I say, I love you. And he, you just hear it uh, sounds, you know what I mean? Because he has tubes in his mouth. And that was, the, and I knew he said, I love you back. And that was the last time I saw him and, uh, You know, unfortunately, my mom got the call that there was a code blue uh, while we were at home. So my mom had been at the hospital every single day, every hour. And I wanted to also note that this is the hospital that she also works at. So she knows these doctors. She knows, you know, everybody. And the one day she decides to go home because her everyone's telling her to take a break is when he codes. And I believe that was him kind of, you know, passing away where he didn't want her to experience that maybe. Um, Anyway, fast forward again a little bit and I'm playing piano for his funeral. And that is, I think, the beginning of the legacy that my dad gave me was like, I just ended up taking over for his choirs at 10 years old and my mom became the director and I was playing the piano uh, accompanying um, the choirs that he left here and uh, I think that that was such a huge thing that changed the trajectory of what you were talking about earlier a linear path for most Asian Americans a lot of my Filipino friends are nurses Obviously, my mom is a nurse, but that event there 
was what, you know, caused me to not have any other path. I had no, even no other option. You know what I'm saying? My mom literally never once said, AJ, you should become a nurse. Mm. You know, and I know that um, she's she had conversations with my dad that was like, hey, um, you, like, my dad's like, I don't think that we should have our kids be musicians, you know? Because my dad was like working all the time just to help put food on the table. But my mom, you know, stable job. She's a nurse. She's making a lot of money. She was the one really taking care of us. And he was making $100 per service, you know, only Mm -hmm. on the weekends. So I remember even, you know, before he was dying, he was, before he passed away, he, he took a job at Texaco for like, uh, like a good week. He became a bus driver for a little bit, but he had no passion for any of those things. His real love was, was music. So yeah, that is a big, big journey already in my young years that had to deal with music and, and tragedy and all these things that led me to purchasing my first guitar and writing my first song. Thank you. Um, I, I don't know what quite the right response is um, for you to have to experience that at 10, which should be, should have been, was a time of just being a kid and just, what, what is that, third or fourth grade? There shouldn't be any worries or any hardship in life, right? Um, and then for your mom, just first being an amazing nurse and doing all that she's doing. Um, I know you posted about her recently and in her experiences yeah. and um, thankful to her and everybody else foremost. And again, just having to deal with that kind of tragedy twice, which is even once is unimaginable. Um, But I'm sure I'm not the first person or the last person to ever say it, AJ, but I'm pretty sure you're doing your dad proud, man. Um, Carrying on his name. and and, Yeah. um, Man. Um, So tell us about that time you you bought your first guitar and what did you, what, what sort of legacy did you want to continue for your dad? Right. Yeah. So yeah, again, you're saying as, as a freaking kid, right. Having to grow up and, um, my sister, my youngest sister was only six months actually was my youngest sister, Justine. She was only six months when that happened actually. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so, you know, we're running around. I have my sister who's nine years old and my mom starts working nights because you know, it pays a little more money, right? So we had to um, hire a, a live-in babysitter, mm. um, which we had a couple, but our last one ended up be, being my best friend's grandma, which is so cool because we were so close to her already and we called her grandma mm. and stuff. So, <clears throat> so yeah, around that time, you know, uh, taking care of my sisters, who they both love music. And even at six months, we knew Justine had like, a talent you know what I mean so um, when I got my first guitar I was 15 years old and um, my auntie who is my dad's sister my auntie Lucci her husband Uncle Jing played in a band with my dad and he played bass guitar so they Mm. wanted to get me an acoustic guitar 
and I was such a piano guy. Like I loved piano. I loved pop piano. Um, I kind of, I don't want to say grew out of because that sounds so pretentious, but I <laughs> classical music was like, I didn't want to deal with it anymore. Like I was so tired of classical music, man. And like church music is cool because I got a lot of stuff that was just the melody and chord and chord names. So I get to improvise a lot. You know, I don't have to read a bunch of notes like in classical music. Ah. So my auntie knew that I had um, a big interest in in chords and and kind of jamming and stuff and not necessarily following the music. So she bought me my first guitar. And I remember uh, after getting that, I'm learning all these chords to like Blink-182 songs. And, you know, <laughs> that was kind of the that era of like pop punk, punk rock. So I'm learning power chords and stuff. Um, but another thing that my mom did that I actually barely get to mention is that she, I convinced her to buy me this 24 track recorder, um, on, at guitar center, it was a thousand bucks. And I was like, Whoa, if you get me this, I promise I'm going to start making CDs. I'm going to sell them and I'm going to pay you back. Like it was so crazy. Like, I don't know how my mom even thought that I was going to do this, but you know, like I said earlier, she's very supportive because she knows this is my, this is my path now being a musician. And she bought me that. How old uh, were you when, when this happened? Uh, same year. So I was 15, I was 15 years old. You, you, you and, were already uh, trying to make a record label out of your bedroom at 15. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> technically it was my garage. So I had a guitar. I convinced my mom again, to buy me a drum set. I cannot believe she bought me a drum set. This is like a, a cheap, like 500, not that $500 is nothing, but you know. Relatively, as far yeah. As drums goes, relatively, right? So I have all these instruments in my garage and I'm learning them all. Cause I, I just wanted to have control of everything that I was recording. You know, I didn't want to have to pay someone to come in. So I started learning drums and wow. I remember pissing off my neighbors and stuff. You know, and like banging someone banging on the garage door, like, <laughs> and as it's closing, as it's closing, I'm like, screw you, you know, like, whatever. Um, anyway, I make a freaking ten track album in this tw on this twenty four track recorder. I find a way to put it on a CD. I ask my friends to help me burn these CDs. I find like those little label makers where you, you do the stomp thing mm. where you print on the label. And I had my friends stomping CDs and it was crazy because as soon as I had these CDs, I put them in sleeves <clears throat> in high mm. school. I'm literally going around <laughs> selling these CDs. It was crazy. Like, and this is the time of, of MySpace. So this is really kind of the start. It's a year before YouTube comes, uh, YouTube mm. before YouTube like changed my life. So it's like 2004, 2005 is when I'm selling CDs with my friends and kind of giving them incentive to sell 10. My best friend, I had him sell 10. If he <laughs> sold that much, if he made $100, I'd buy him in and out at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. So that was kind of the start of like this weird <laughs> entrepreneur uh like lifestyle that I had and my space was happening, dude. So, um, I would post on bulletin boards like, Hey, does anyone have any shows I could play at or whatever? And I start opening up for rock. 
bands because mm. I don't have a band at this time. Rock bands are the only ones having backyard shows. Mm. Um, so I would always open because it's just me and my keyboard, um, you know, playing these songs that I wrote around my school. Huh. And then all of a sudden uploading on MySpace. I had to upload on MySpace before there was MySpace music. So I had to like put a JavaScript, like real player code. Wow. That only had a play and pause button. And I had to put in the, you know, hey, this is my song uh, called so-and-so. Please click play. And then people mm. would start listening to the song that I recorded on my 24-track recorder. And that was oh, the beginning wow. of, like, you know, the whole music online revolution, man. It was wild. That's wild. Then this website called uh, YouTube comes along. It's 2006. <laughs> I was really trying to find a way to get my MySpace more popular. Mm. And uh, I wanted to put videos on my MySpace. That was really the goal of, really? of YouTube. So you community. just wanted, you saw YouTube as a hosting place to then kick it back to MySpace. Exactly. So oh. if, if you look at my first, like, maybe 100 videos, all of them are like myspace.com slash AJ Raphael. I always put that title card at the end of the videos when I was editing them on my laptop. Interesting. Um, wow. I have to shout out my my other aunt as well who got me my first power book, um, you know, Mac. So she believed in my music as well. She was my dad's oldest sister and mm. she bought me my first MacBook. So then I started learning how to, you know, edit on on iMovie and use GarageBand for sound and things like that um, to make content on YouTube. And at the time, I don't even know what subscribers are until I like <laughs> hit a thousand. And I'm like, are these people paying? Like, what does subscribing mean? You know, like I didn't know what it meant, but um, obviously finding out that it's an audience that wants to see your like your new videos pop up on their homepage every time they log on. Yeah. And I started <clears throat> I started celebrating all of those things and, and every time I hit a thousand or two thousand I'd like celebrate with you know, have a comment party or whatever. Like yeah. this is all kind of before I didn't think of it as fan engagement. I'm just thinking mm. of it as like, oh, here's like a community. I see these same people commenting on every yeah. single video. This is really cool. So, you know, I'm talking to them and like getting to know my fans and stuff until it reaches a point where I start getting like a hundred thousand views on each of my videos and I'm like, whoa, this is a real a real thing. You know, this could be a cool thing. Um and all that, bro, just to put my <laughs> YouTube videos on my MySpace and kind of cross promote, if you will, like before that was even a term, you know. So social media before it was ever a kind of strategy. I think just like by habit and because of the things that felt right to me, it ended up becoming like a, a sixth sense to me, mm. you know, and like something that I just kind of do naturally. Like even now I'm thinking of like, you know, I'm going to take a screenshot of our podcast to show that we were <laughs> doing something today. You know, like a lot of people, yeah. I think, especially now, you know, I'm meeting a lot of actors and stuff and getting mm. into that world. They don't really necessarily have that bone, like that social media yeah. instinct to 
be a putting yourself out there, which I know takes courage and right. you know, different things, but also, you know, it helps in the long run. And what we talked about earlier, creating content, not necessarily has to be good content as long as it's consistent. Right. Then, you know, you got something. So you're, you're being as, as humble as anybody can be. Um, so I'm going to brag for you. Um, <laughs> I, I realize that my real job here is hype man. Um, you <laughs> joined YouTube April 23rd, 2006. Mm. That's well after uh, probably, well, well before most people even knew what YouTube existed. You have countless videos on YouTube. The earlier, earlier ones from 13 years ago, 14 years ago now. Um, very, very small views, right? And I, I would guess that a lot of those views came after you know, well after you uploaded them. Um, But what I'm hearing from your story is just one grit, tenacity, right? Just post for the sake of posting. Don't try to hack it as so many people are inclined to do these days to try to chase the attention, right? Go for clout. Try to find something that you think will get a certain reaction. And what that does is you actually step away from your authentic being and what, who you are and what you are. Um, wow. That's a good, that's a good it, it is because just be you and you're going to get some people to love you and you're going to get some people who don't love you. And that's okay. Because do you really want people to fall in love with a different version of who you aren't? Because you can't keep that up, right? Like you're the same AJ from 14 years ago. You're the same AJ from 10 years ago or 10 when you were 10, right? Like, 21 years ago. And and so that consistency, I believe, and so many other people believe is the reason why you are who you are today, because you stay true to your mission of honoring the legacy. And what we also hear in your story is the power of your tribe, right? Your mom believing in you, single mom, mm-hmm. taking care of three kids, mm-hmm. your aunts getting involved because that's the way that Asian families roll, right? Mm-hmm. When shit happens, mm-hmm. we get together and, you know, yeah. you have, we have Amen. many, many moms Amen. in our lives, right? Yeah. And and then it's just finally just you knowing that it's the – your life story and your life experiences is the content, right? It's this um, documentation mm-hmm. versus creation theory that many people, you know, you don't need to be picture perfect on Instagram, right? Just share your day. Right. Um you know, sure. Sometimes we go out of our way. Um, just before we started recording, AJ, we were talking about how in this COVID-19 era that we're dealing with, that people care more about the context of what they're watching than the quality of the content that they're viewing. So um, yeah. you don't need 50, I don't know, $1,000 microphones and $5,000 yeah. cameras mm-hmm. than having to wait three weeks for some you know, really expensive editor to make it look shine like a Hollywood movie. <laughs> so true. So true. If you, I look, it's true though, right? If you go back and you probably look at some of the videos or even Instagram stuff where you're just like, wait a minute, that outperformed what I thought was going to be. It's probably because your fans were like, holy shit, this guy's real. He's keeping it real, right? And not, mm. um, you know, so many, we, we see this too often, but, you know, picture perfect photo, Lightroom edited you know, fake comments and it's for what, right? Like, cause it's, it's, it should be a representation of who you are. And, and I think you as a musician, because it's such an emotional medium, right? It's the, the words and the music and the story behind it, I think is 
much more so than acting, um, much more so than performance art. Um, I think music is one of these things that you can't fake, right? Um, Right. I I think, you know, there's a lot of different types of popular music, but if you look at your type of music where it's just you and an instrument, you on a stage and you doing all these different things, it's very vulnerable. It's not choreographed. It's not, you know... um, Sorry, no hate mail here. Sorry, guys. But like, it's not K-pop, right? Like K-pop is very <laughs> choreographed and there's a order and a script for everything. Um, I mean, dude, K-pop hasn't really changed at its core in 20 years since I started listening, right? Like it's... Yeah, I mean, yeah, to be fair, yeah, it's just, it's a template for sure. Correct. It's, it's a template a and everybody has a role. Template. Um, that's cool. So you were the early, one of the early, earlier pioneers of YouTube. You now have countless videos and there are many with hundreds of thousands of views your total count is 189 million which is mind-boggling um there's <laughs> 900 and 980,000 people 940,000 people who subscribe to you um but you weren't obviously that doesn't start on day one um tell us a little bit about your earlier years once you realized when did you realize that youtube in and of itself would be the bigger potential platform much so than just using it as a backbone to MySpace. Yeah, I mean, so I end up going to Berklee College of Music for a year because I was not a very good student in high school. I just knew that I had to get in a school I could audition into, you know, <laughs> to get in. So obviously, as a private school, it was very expensive. So, yeah, I stayed there for a year. Um, uh, I saw the check that my mom wrote and I was like, I can't make you do this again. Um, so anyway, during that year, 2009, YouTube comes out with what they call a partner program. Mm. And they have you apply and you have to write like a mini essay on why you deserve to be paid for views and why you deserve to be shared ad revenue with them. And obviously mm. at the time, you know, I'm not I'm thinking like, whoa, what a great opportunity, even though <laughs> everyone knows now YouTube makes so much money off just creators uh, in yeah. general and like people who upload content they m- are making so much money i don't even know what the percentage is but i was like okay cool they're trying to share with us that's awesome <laughs> which you know i don't take it for granted because you know to this day i still s- receive you know a check from from google every month but yep uh during that that beginning time it was a lot of money especially for me i wasn't working and uh i think that probably in my mind it shifted to where i was like if I can make money on YouTube, then why should I not put my focus on this? Because this is something I mm. love to do and I love to put out content. Um, MySpace obviously was really just a promotional thing to kind of get the word out. So when I came home from college, I never went back. I met so many great people. I met my band mm. there who ended up recording with me, making uh, my first EP and, and all that stuff. They're all Berkeley kids. But coming back, I would I decided that I needed to start being like really consistent on YouTube because there are other also cool Asian American do- creators during this time, especially mm. from like 2007, 2011, 12, who were also doing it. And this was the platform that we were kind of finding our audience on, you know? And I yeah. was like, I want to be part of this group. I want to meet people like Kev Jumba and Ryan Higa and, you know, Wong Fu Productions mm. and uh, people who are doing it as well. So, you know, really when I came home from college and I started meeting more uh, 
quote unquote creators. I mean, they weren't, we weren't, we didn't call them that back then, but Mm. um, meeting these people and this community of people who are also making YouTube videos and doing it because they love it, but also because we were making a business out of it. Right. You know, I think that really inspired me to, to go from the MySpace route to YouTube. Um, so, I mean, it's a little different for musicians because on YouTube, you can only make money from original content. Most right. of my content is cover music. You know what I mean? Mm. So I also still knew I had to make money in other ways. I had to record right. music and try to sell that music. I had to play shows that would give me more than just gas money. You know what I mean? Like I had yeah. to try to find a way where I didn't, I didn't want to ask my mom for money anymore. Um, by the way, to take it back, I ended up selling uh, all in all a thousand CDs wow. <laughs> over a couple of years. So I, you know, obviously paid my mom back for that. That's awesome, man. <laughs> that is so cool. Um, you mentioned the community of fellow Asian American creators, what we know now to be cre- called creators um, back 12, 13 years ago when, when YouTube was just getting started and 11 years ago when they started the the, the partner program. Um, in, in hindsight, we realize a lot of things and make sense why YouTube and other uh, internet-based platforms were the right place for people look, who look like me and you to explore our creative outlets because we weren't being invited on the mainstream shows. We weren't given space and um, time on, on MTV and other platforms to shine. Um, being in the middle of it, um, how did you find community with the, some of the other guys that you, you spoke of and what sort of um, conversations were being had living in the moment of it? Were you guys aware of what was actually happening or was it just you know, holy shit, this is a cool way to make music and we're having fun. We're a bunch of young guys. What was that like? (laughs) I'd say probably more of the latter, you know, like we, yeah, maybe in the back of our minds, we're thinking it could be a business. And that probably did subconsciously like inspire me to be more around people who were like-minded in that way. But it it was more, we did meet a lot more in fun circumstances, like the specific example of how I met Wang Fu Productions. I was having this show in Irvine with Kev Jamba, Happy Slip, uh, an early you know Filipino comedian um, on YouTube. And I was one of the only music acts, along with our friend Victor Kim, who was in Quest Crew. He was a dancer. And Victor invited us to his house after because he lived in Irvine. Mm. So we all were there. And the thing that all kind of binds us, if you're at a party or whatever, it's not like you can go showing off your short form videos on the TV and be like, <laughs> hey guys, watch this, right? Like, um, here's my comedy standup. I'm not, you know, like Kevin, <laughs> happy Now Spanish you might, you're like, hey, you know, let's let's stream it on the TV. But back then Bro, it wasn't, right? Yeah, that's so true. Now we, we probably would. Yeah. Or check out this new thing. But the one thing in that dark room that we were all just kind of chilling at, you know, I I don't know if I was 21, but I know I wasn't drinking. Everyone else was. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> just to be safe, I'll say that. Um, I was sitting there with, and Victor had an interest in playing piano. And he's like, you play keys. So I had the keyboard the whole night oh. and I'm playing slow jams. I'm playing all these things. Thankfully, my best friend's older brother introduced me to R&B music and you know, the the 90s bands and stuff, Boys to Men. So 
I'm playing all these things and that's kind of the age group that Wang Fu is in. And these guys are a little older than me. They're probably two to three years, four or five years older than me. And they're like, yo, this guy's good, man. You know, I could, (laughs) I'm not shy about saying like I can play anything because that's just like the way my ear works. Since like, even if I don't know a song, if I hear it once, you know, I'll just pull the chord progressions and play it, right? So like, dude, this guy can play anything. You're like a jukebox or whatever. I remember after that whole, you know, jam session or what it was, that's kind of what brought us all together outside. They're like, hey, uh, you know, your stuff is really good. We'd love to hear your original music. Maybe we can make a music video. I had already Mm. seen they've been doing music videos for another artist named David Choi. You know, and he was, yeah. David Choi was the first singer-songwriter I ever saw on YouTube who was Asian. And um, me and Wang Fu ended up, you know, making a music video together, which at that time, you know, became viral. It's still one of my biggest songs. It's called When We Say Juice Box. Like a lot of people who grew up listening to me, um, who've been listening to me since middle school or high school or whatever, they really, uh, that song means something to them, especially because it was like my music, and Wong Fu Productions mixed into one thing. So um, it ends up becoming business a little bit because we're creating something, you know, for the audience to to see and and for us to monetize off of. But it it first became, it first came into fruition because we were just jamming in a house, having fun after a show. So that's kind of a small example of what the meeting those creators were like at the time that's cool though i mean it's i i don't think it's possible if you look at anybody who's um achieved any sort of um object, objective levels of success and um influence that you don't script that out right like there's <laughs> countless right. things that just freakishly randomly happen serendipity luck um yeah. whatever right divine intervention whatever you want to call it where in hindsight you're like whoa that Irvine show, whatever circumstances made you say yes, and then you not having any plans after <laughs> to say let's hang. And then so like all these things, right? Like you just look back at, okay, let's wind back the clock and think of all the things that had to happen exactly the way it did for it to happen. And then looking at how that now has spawned more stuff. Like it's like it's just humbling, right? Because we, we realize so much of life's good fortunes are really outside our control. It's just they happen. It's so weird. And and you saying all these things and me thinking back, you know, and, and in the beginning of the podcast, you're saying it's a lot of talent, hard work. It's also timing. It is also obviously luck because if you just got to be ready when that lightning hits, right? Yeah. For me, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to impress record labels or anything. That wasn't my industry. It, I Like I still even don't consider myself part of the quote unquote music industry sometimes because mm. it's just so different from where my mind is. But back then I was like, these are fellow uh, quote unquote, whatever content creators or people independent, you know, filmmakers and stuff. I wanted to impress them to kind of get into their circle. So the fact that I also was like, quote unquote, impressing them with like my piano skills also is a testament to, you know, people working on their crafts and being ready to not that that was an audition for me, but it's like if I was able to play a request just like that for some people who wanted to just hear music, that goes to show that all my hard work that I put in into learning theory and learning chords and learning Mm -hmm. how 
it all works in chord progressions and stuff for that moment in that room for me to show off those skills led me to becoming part of a bigger circle community it's like hey when that luck and timing is in your favor be sure you also have you know that hard work that you put in into your skill in whatever it is you do yeah i don't think it's the case all the time but i do believe that when people see it's not you individually but when they see people who've achieved influence and success through gifts through musical talent or things and then obviously leveraging platforms to help get that message out they don't instantly think about the years of work for that magic moment to happen right like if you look at every musician i mean hell you started even before you could walk those sundays right the Mm -hmm. the taking over the choir at 10 and then when you're 20 something they're like where did this guy aj come from he sounds pretty nice right but he's quote unquote overnight success and so (laughs) you can't hack success right like you can't it's when preparation meets the right timing meets opportunity meets everything but then all through it you can't give up right like um whether it's making videos on youtube or whether it's you know doing podcasts like dude people quit after 10 shows people quit after 10 videos 10 episodes you're like why it's easy to do that but why i mean but think about like but your reason was far greater than view count right and if you judge if you tie your success as a creator to view count and sub count then you're always going to lose because there's always going to be some person with more but oh yeah it's silly yeah yeah i mean you know what i had to say about that is you know when i do visit colleges and stuff and uh, I've done a couple master classes, though I'm not a master, uh, on just social media and YouTube in general. And it's like, you cannot look at that view count number because every person's beginning journey. Mm. Yeah, we, we might have had a video that randomly hit out of nowhere, but we still had to put out those things yeah. So peop- that, that we loved. You know, like I, when I talk to musicians specifically, if I tell them to just go on the iTunes pop charts, and look at those songs and cover those songs and you'll get views. That may be true. But at the end of the day, I have fans who come up to me at Disneyland who give me a hug, a big bear hug, or they come up to me and say, your music really changed my life. And you're not going to get that from from just copying what you think is the right formula sure. for you to get views. It, yeah. it comes from... Me having, yeah, I have 500 videos out there and sure, I haven't reached a million subscribers, but I've shown my heart and I know at least 400 yeah. of those videos and I've shared my journey and I wasn't afraid for you to see me in the beginning. So then when people, even if somebody watched, never heard of me and watched now from my beginning video all the way to my end, that I know that they could at least relate to the human side of me, right. even if they don't like my music. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they could come up to me if they ever meet me and say, hey, look, I respect your journey. And we can look at each other and and see humans, you know what I mean? Right. Who, who have stories to tell and not just, oh, you're a musician who creates really cool content. Sure. You know, so I always, that means more to me than than having 180 million views or whatever it is 
you know, just the fact that I can connect to people. I, I think that's the, the tough thing, right? Um, you have both, right? You have the influence and the human touch, which what leads to the other is arguable. We obviously both side on this or sit on the side of it's the heart that gets the views, right? Like um, it's hard to work it the other way. You talked about cover music, which I think in podcast world is shouldn't you just get the biggest names imaginable and then they'll post it for you and then ah, boom, right? But it's like, no, because one, you do it for the love of doing it and the storytelling, just like you, if you were to uh, cover somebody's music, let's say, right? Like you're not doing that for clout and they might not care that it's you. They just want to hear a different version of the song that they love as sung by the original <laughs> artist. And it's... But the, the, the thing for the young folks or anybody listening, whether you are aspiring to be a musician or a podcast or anything, is view count shouldn't matter. Who actually comes on your show shouldn't matter. What comes as a result of that person coming on the show should matter zero. If you don't have it in your heart to pump out the content, it's not going to work. Not because the content sucks, because you're going to give up, right? Because if you yeah. don't have the fire... Um, sure. We can look at your 500 videos, rank them from most popular to not most popular, you know, apply some metric to when it was whatever, right? <laughs> sure. Like come up sure, with like, sure. right. What are the components to make it, uh, you know, uh, a hit or viral video? Yeah. Um, yeah. I could do that with the same, any podcaster, any creator can use that, but then what are you going to do? You're going to like systematically data your way into like coming up with, you know, Every single video or interview should be about this particular topic with this particular guest. Right. Like, then the then, burnout then you, comes you, way faster. Right. But then it's, it's, it's silly. Um, so you are, this is the 50th, 50th episode that we are recording on the show. Oh, wow. Congrats, um, man. That's really great. Thanks, man. Which is insane because the first episode was uploaded uh, exactly 10 weeks ago. And because we have all this time... And not just me having time, our guests have time. And it's a great time to be an Asian American. It missed all the stuff that we're being dragged through. Um, it's a time where people are starting to reflect on what it actually means to be us and what our story is um, yeah. and why it matters. And uh, so many of us have uh, leaned away from it at certain parts of our lives through shame and um, equating our parents with who we are in that identity and some of the challenges and frustrations that we have with our misunderstanding mm. of culture and then we shun it. Or we just think <laughs> that, you know, if I go to the right school, if I marry the right person, if I get the right job and the right money, somehow that will shield me from the discrimination and the racism that occurs in the world. And that's just not yeah. true. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been fun, you know, and, and I... I look at you know cool i wanted to race to 50 episodes that was something that was important to me and in march everybody you know everything sort of shut down so i said cool i'm just gonna go um one a day one every other day whatever the pace was to try to get here which is a lot y'all it's yeah, just a lot right. um thank you man it's it but it's fun because this is fun i talk to old friends i meet new friends we talk and then we throw it yeah. up in the universe and um and the same thing, if I were to judge, do I create the 51st episode based on what the download count is during the first 10 weeks? That's a really 
dumb way to look at is this making a difference in somebody's life, right? Um, yeah, that's so like I there's some stuff. Yeah, yeah, th- there's some stuff that I listen to during the editing process, and I start to tear up, saying shit. Like that hit me hard, even on the you know <laughs> on, on the re-listen. So, um, right. you've been doing this for just even on the let's just take being on the internet for about 15 years now, right? Between MySpace and yeah, and YouTube. Sure. Um, in in your infinite wisdom of hindsight and being a veteran of this now, um, <laughs> and, and, you, and you were so humble, you said, I did a master class, but I'm not a master. Many would argue that you are, and, and you are one of the, the OGs of Asian Americans in new media. Um, what have you learned in the last 15 years about yourself and about Asian Americans being proud to showcase their talents and put it out there? Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't really have to start really talking about being Asian American until the last five, six years. You know, I think that's when I really started having, um, I don't know, more of a perspective on what that actually meant. Because my my main thing was always, you know, and it almost seems naive, like, I, it's just about the music. Yeah. <laughs> Filipino American festivals keep inviting me to these things, but you know, it's more than just about Filipino or, you know, it's about my music. Right. Then over the years, I start meeting people who I mentioned earlier, who literally come up to say, I've listened to you since middle school. So playing these college shows in the last two, three years, that's the, actually the age, right? So yeah, you're right. You know? Yeah. So every single show I can guarantee at least 50% of them will say, I've listened to you since middle school or high school or whatever it may be, right? <laughs> but it's, it's, it's either of those things. So that started hitting me a lot. And, um, and then you hear the conversations are like, I had nobody to really look up to, you know? <sighs> and then they start saying, you and your friends, you know, when I see you guys jamming together, that really inspired to bring me and my friends together and stuff. And my parents, you know, they want me to become doctor, a doctor, but I love music you know do you have any advice like things like that then i started looking at it as like a cultural thing you know that like yeah we aren't really as you were saying earlier encouraged to leave that linear path to go Mm. to this non-traditional world you know even within my own family who's very supportive but like a lot of people will still say why don't you just go on american idol like why are you making youtube (laughs) video you know like they want to see something that they can see on tv and be like oh my son or my my nephew is a (laughs) is a real musician not seeing everything that i'm doing behind the scenes um but you know in the beginning as i said it wasn't as important but really being helping to be some kind of representation or a or a role model to these people really has had me look at being Asian American Mm. in such a different light. And if I can be that for one person, as you were saying about your podcast, um, you know, just to make a difference in one person's life, you know, if someone is like that guy, AJ is Filipino. That's really cool. I'm Filipino too. He plays ukulele. I have one. (laughs) I'm going to start making songs. You know what I mean? Like this is really cool, you know? And there are some like memes going on lately online where it's like 
a typical Filipino in a certain era, which was like 2012 to 2015. They're wearing like a Filipino flag jacket. They have a ukulele and then they have an Age of Raphael album. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> dude, like, I don't even care if people are like clowning on it or it's like, it's like a light joke. You know, I'm like, dude, if I was a part of that movement, man, then like I've already had, I've already done my job here on this earth as as a musician, but more so as as a person that somebody can look at and be like, I'm proud to be Asian American because of this guy. I'm proud to be Filipino because of AJ. I'm proud to be Filipino because of Jeremy Passion, because of Gabe Bondock and these other YouTube OGs and, and be myself. And to be honest, I totally forgot what the question you asked. I just kind of went on a rant, <laughs> not a rant, a little. <laughs> no, it, it, you answered session. it because it, it's what, what's the perspective of hindsight, right? What, what, how have you progressed and what have you learned? Um, and that's beautiful, man, because I think a lot of us realize that you can, we're, we're talented enough and we're gifted enough. And whether it is voice or music, it's universally appreciated, but sure context matters much more than the content we've been saying that a lot today right and it's yeah, yeah when some kid sees you it's because he can see himself or she can see herself mm -hmm. in you mm -hmm. and that matters because they won't see that in name any other non-filipino or non-asian super duper famous successful person right and so it's important for and you know this is we're all still on our journey Nobody should be put on the pedals to say that person has achieved success because it's not a finish line. There's no yep. finish line. You run your race as hard as you can, and when it's your time to go, you go, right? And and, and yep. so I want people to also realize that, one, everybody has the ability to inspire somebody. You don't need to be uh, past some sort of arbitrary like accomplishment barrier to then speak on a panel, to turn on a YouTube channel, or to come on an interview right. show, right? Everybody, look, my three-year-old teaches my one-year-old stuff. Like, he's a teacher, he's a mentor, <laughs> right? Amazing. And he cares. Right. But any any parent, any sibling, you know that, right? But when we grow up, we have this, like, I'm not accomplished enough. My title, my, you know, I've had people reject to come on the show and say, I don't think, you know, I've seen who's come on your show, and I just don't think, you know, excuse, excuse. Why? And I would argue yeah. that the journey is the journey story is much, much more important than I, I don't know who, who would be the numbers and stuff. Correct. Yeah. I don't know like, if um, I don't know who the most who, who I don't know who's the richest Asian American person. I don't know. Right. Like uh, if Jack Ma, he's not, I know he's not Asian American, but why? Right? Like sure. his perspective would be different because his, his money so and his success has, has changed his perspective on life. Um, but it's I, I want to encourage everybody out there. Share your story, number one, but share your story in a medium that reaches the kids that look like you because it's not to exclude others and it's not to discount others' stories, but we have a lack, given how big of a population we are, not just in the States, but globally, I think we have a lack of storytelling from our perspective. And, and that's why I started the show. That's why so many of our friends continue to tell our stories. And yes, a lot of it is rooted in um, Asian humility, right? Don't ever brag. Keep your head down. Work hard. And then yeah. a lot of religious influence of the same thing. You know, don't brag. Don't brag. If you're good Very enough, true. they'll find you. But we also then uh, internalize that so much that we never objectively are proud of the stuff that we've done. I, you know, again, this is not 
uh, me trying to put myself on a pedestal, but I've spoken at schools, I've spoken at things, and the Asian kid that awkwardly walks up to you at the end of the thing and just either says thank you or gives you that nod, yeah, like, yep, yep. that's why you do it, right? Because yeah. it yeah. was so important that he saw, she saw you on stage because somebody that doesn't look like me could have said the same exact damn thing and it hits different. Yeah. And and so, so that's true. yeah. And 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 you talked about platforms and influence and I think what you are starting to do now um as you said 5 6 years ago having that realization that you have figured out your audience not even from a business perspective but from a heart perspective because the money stuff takes care of itself um that that's where your impact and your legacy lies, right? Because sorry, I, I don't know, like it's you are going to do more influencing young folks um, that look like you, whose parents tell them that they need to be a nurse, that they need to be a doctor, you know, because um, those things still exist. Um, and and so tell us a little bit about what you've been working on the last, I don't know, uh, we'll, we'll do it in two buckets, the last year that you're excited <laughs> for. And then let's go micro into the last eight weeks of um all of us Quarantine. not seeing a whole lot of sunlight yeah <laughs> uh, what 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 are you working on and what's got you excited man yeah i mean i hinted at it a little earlier but you know i i've gotten into like the musical theater slash acting world a little more so mm. um in 2014 i took like a, a hiatus from music which which i then took a deep dive into music music directing so um you know in a in a musical for those are not familiar you know there's a director there's a musical director who handles all the mm. music perspective and there's choreographer usually right so i started taking the job as music director because of my experience at church and teaching music and things like that which then got me involved to to actually like audition for shows and because i saw people on stage i'm like i could also do that as well i've done some plays in high school and college and you know and wanting to be funny and like uh <laughs> so yeah musical theater has really taken over man like uh, I got to be an East West Players Mamma Mia last year. We ran for 11 weeks. I was the role of Pepper, which is a comedic role. Uh, I played Turk in a production of Tarzan. He's the best, funny, best friend, you know. <laughs> so it's been really uh, a different and a change of uh, just everything, right? Like, it's so different. And, and as I was saying earlier, being around actors who not necessarily have that social media mindset it's been cool meeting actors and being like hey why don't you make video your why don't you make videos on youtube your voice is so good if you just mm. put it put out a video a week and again that's harder than it sounds and you creating freaking a podcast like 50 podcasts in 10 weeks is freaking hard so people need to realize that but if you <laughs> set your mind to it you know what i mean and and also what you were saying about quality earlier, how that shouldn't matter as much as the story in the heart of it. That is very, very, very true. Um, anyway, so theater stuff has been really exciting me. I've been putting on this show called Crazy Talented Asians mm. every two months and just bringing my Asian slash Asian American friends on stage, not to give them another platform per se, but for an audience member to see, because we did we did our first one at this venue called Rockwell in LA and mm. no shade or anything to them, but it's mostly a white audience. I mean, that's theater in general. It's mostly mm. white. Yep. So 
when I'm bringing a whole full Asian cast, naturally that's going to bring Asians into the door to yeah. see people who they relate to and their friends or whatever. To see an almost all Asian audience at the Rockwell, to me, was like historic almost. It was like... Mm for me to see that right so it's not only for the artists to have another platform because a lot of them are are really successful already they don't need another cabaret to like promote themselves or whatever but <laughs> they do it because it's fun and because i'm their friend but it's yeah. really for that kid in the audience again to look and say wow theater which is white dominant industry i this person did more than just miss saigon they've been in wicked mm. They've been in Mamma Mia. They've been in Next to Normal, these shows that I just see as white. And I could do that too, you know? Yeah. So that's really what's been getting me excited lately. And I feel like it's fulfilling more of my purpose on this earth. So it's not just for my own music. It's for me to to play for people who are inspiring people. Me to just be the accompanist to the singer, if you will. Like literally and also metaphorically right like i just want to support people who are down for that for that mission so that's what's been going on in the last couple years which is a little departure from what i do as a singer songwriter but at the same token it it's still in the vein of bringing people together through music that's cool I, you, you mentioned something that got me thinking about you know we, we talk about um the importance of people seeing us on a platform and the second level to that is what you do with that platform matters so much in the platform itself because we see so many people that look like us that have these positions and don't do anything to help right the agenda or mm, um, inspire yeah uh, but the third level and you mentioned it is none of it matters if the people are not in the seats to hear it right <laughs> it's right. it's the audience right if if mm -hmm. It's an all Asian cast, right? Like we have this leadership summit of badass Asian Americans, but there's no young Asian kid in the audience to listen and to be inspired. That's so true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then we've missed the boat, right? Like, so that's why I love the internet, right? Because it removes that barrier. Physical is so amazing because you get to experience it, right? And I think sort of the things that we've been lucky to have realized as crappy as it has been for the last eight weeks or so um, is this notion of things going virtual across the board and then to be able to speak to audiences. I mean, heck, you've been doing it for 15 years through MySpace and YouTube and all the other channels, but it's this removal of the physical necessity for us to communicate because right. kids in Nebraska don't get to go to Asian American anything. Kids in, you know, there's Asian <laughs> kids, you know, there's Filipino kids up in, I don't know, in, in Louisiana. Yeah, I played in, a show in, in Indiana and there was, there was only like 30 people there, but I was like, I'm glad y'all are here. But that probably, they probably waited for you. We're looking forward to mm. you, right? Because when we live in LA in Southern California, we get spoiled, right? Like, Oh, it's All another time, collaboration. Yeah. Oh, it's another talent show. There's so many choice. But when you go to these areas where people, and, and it's a, you hear their stories of how their families moved there, and you're like, holy crap, that's crazy. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. And think about, I mean, dude, you grew up in Moreno Valley where, yeah, it wasn't like majority Asian, but it wasn't all white and then you, right? Like, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I mean, you know, if you talk to other people like, you know, Jubilee Jason grew up in Missouri, right? Like, 
That's I know crazy. That's so random to me. Literally one, right? And but I mean, so you know, his random. parents were professors, so like that all makes sense. But like, if you think about the impact, and I think that's sort of what drives people like him too, right? To go through the emotions of I want doing things in LA is important, but I want to create a medium where I can talk to the kids in the rural part of Texas or in, um, you know, I don't know, Wisconsin, where there's just not a lot of us. So, man, yeah. it's it's exciting. Um, that is cool. And, and I and I think your evolution is living proof that you know, never, ever, ever um, should so much pressure on yourself to be defined by one thing. Um, mm. an, an entire generation knows you as YouTube star AJ Raphael. And another generation of people will know you as something different, not greater, but just yeah. different. And yep. Um, I mean, I mean, look, um, look, look at our big brothers and Far East movement, right? They, they started rapping in college and now they own a label and like they direct stuff, right? Like, and it's, it's all legacy moves, I think, yeah. you know, which is so cool, man. Like they get to share that they had this amazing booming career and number one singles and stuff, but now they help in getting other artists out there and yeah, it's, it's really cool and yeah the evolution that's that's very cool for you to acknowledge all of this stuff i'm saying because i don't get to kind of recollect or or look back on it often because i'm always we're always all trying to make moves yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> everyone's always trying to hustle and grind and look towards what's next but i do yeah. think it's important for someone like Forest movement to look back and say this is really important what I did for this community and and for me to do that even just now to see that and and to look back on it is really important I think for anybody. It's it's wild man. So I we we uh James was a couple years older than I was. Um he was at UCLA and I was at USC and when we met through um the Korean Student Association network then and I threw a party at uh uh, shoot, I forgot what it was called, but it was the big, big club in downtown LA. Uh, 333 South Boylston was the name. It was like where everybody had their things. And we had a big USC UCLA party. And I remember I paid Far East Movement something crazy, like 300 bucks to come and perform. And I felt bad asking, but I said, hey, this is my my budget. But I, you know, as as, as a favor, as a, I don't know, like, could, yeah. would you guys do it? And they were just so grateful. Can you can you imagine offering three hundred bucks to Faris Movement now to and Faris telling <laughs> and then and then to tell you thank you? But this was two thousand three when they were still going to college, when they were still you know, um, yeah. Like James finished law school, what rapping during the it's crazy, right? Like, um, and That's then a so story. yeah, it's it's a, so when when you see them. Uh, where they are now and you're like where'd they come from i was like dude like everybody's got a backstory yeah you only see the tip of the iceberg right like right you said earlier is like no one sees the it's years wild man of all that stuff under the surface so 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 cool man um thank you for sharing some very very personal stories with us today and it's so cool um to know i think to know that you're impact in the world is something that you objectively admit and it hasn't um, affected you in a way. Um, and just the things that you share about gratitude and about your family and about the journey and you 
not resting on your laurels and trying to collect, you know, checks for the rest of your life, but challenging yourself to do something different because your life's purpose and mission um, is far greater than just royalty checks and just being comfortable. Um, It's the pursuit of something greater. Um, Really, really grateful. Uh, Would love for you to help us finish out the show um, in the way that we do all of our shows, which is in the form of a letter um, to the Asian American community. Uh, Dear Asian Americans is ultimately a conversation and a letter to us, more importantly, from us, and most importantly, for us, because these are conversations that I don't think you and I had growing up. Um, and, and we're completely happy with the way that we are now, but um, I just imagine how it could have been different had we had these conversations in our years um, as we were growing up to tell us that we're not alone and that you could pursue all sorts of different things and it's just going to turn out okay. So um, I'll start the letter and if you can help finish us out um, in completing the letter, dear Asian Americans. Your stories are important. Your journey is important. Um, You wanting to be a nurse, doctor, lawyer is valid, but you wanting to be a musician, a comedian, a writer is just as valid. Um, You speaking up matters. You acknowledging your mental health and taking care of yourself doesn't have to be exclusive to you listening to your parents and wanting to take care of them as well. You, you can edit all these breaks, obviously. No, the silence is the emphasis, man. Keep it all. You wanting to make a difference outside of just your grades is important and matters more than you know. All of these things can influence someone younger than you to grow up and see a bigger picture. You being Asian American is not a hindrance it makes you powerful being Asian American doesn't mean you're less American Dear Asian Americans, let's continue to stand up for each other and to
and to acknowledge when someone is doing good, not just to acknowledge them when they get below an A <laughs> minus. Um, we're all doing our part and if we continue to lift each other up, then we all can we continue to lift each other up we can fight through the hate and divisiveness that is happening right now in our country that's it that's 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 whoo no oh, thank you man um I, I i don't say this lightly but i think it is um you you have influenced positively an entire generation of young people who saw themselves in you, felt their stories through your lyrics, and are inspired by far more than your musical notes and your lyrics in the way that you've lived life and have been so open and transparent in sharing your life story. Um, and to know that uh, where it started may have not been such a pretty place in your life, but where you have been and where you continue to go is and will continue to be the best way for you to honor your father's legacy. And mm. I, you, you have, I think, um, you're just getting started, man. Um, <laughs> 31 years thir 31, old. 31, man. Yeah. The, the world is upside, right? If you live to 90, you're just so. one, one third through, right? Like, <laughs> not not even half time yet, man. Um, yeah. No, you're right. Sometimes we think, I'm sure that you've thought about it too. Like, you know, when you hit 30, you're like, damn, have I done enough? You know, but you're right, man. We're uh, all just getting started, dude. Like, dude, wait, wait till you have kids. You're like, ah, it's so late. Everybody, you know, bro, I, I know anymore. you're talking about, you're talking about your three-year-old teaching your one-year-old. <laughs> I, we, we have a senior dog, a 16 year old dog that we took from my family teaching our four month, uh, puppy. Four-month-old puppy, dude, and it's been the most hectic thing. It's like my girlfriend's running around right now, and as I'm in this interview, taking care of our little puppy because it's so hectic, man. I can't even imagine. With kids. Uh, no, so it's it's respect. beautiful. I mean, look, it's life. There, there's no right way to live it. Um, there's yeah. so many ways to learn. Um, but man, thank you so much for making time. Uh, it's it's been an honor to have you have this conversation with you. Thank you for sharing so much of your personal stories with us and uh um yeah let, let's get through this social distancing crap so more people can come up and hug you man that, that's the <laughs> I goal miss the hugs man I miss the virtual hugs, hugs aren't you, just the same you know um but until then <laughs> stay the hell home everybody L listen to all stay go, home. Go, go go back and watch all of aj's 500 youtube videos um <laughs> Get 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 that yeah. sub count over a million. I don't. They give you they give you some sort of a special plaque at a million, right? 
They do. They do it. You know what? It's, it's a materialistic thing. It's one of those materialistic things that I really would love to just put on the wall. Um, so yeah, my goal is to reach a million subscribers. Yeah, we got, uh, we got, we got year. about 60 K more to go. Um, yeah, well, well, I don't know. Again, that's not your definition of success, but it is a result of all your hard work. So congrats, man. Can't, can't wait to, uh, hear what's next cooking for you. And, um, thanks again for your time. It really means a lot. Yeah. Thank you. And congrats again on, on 50 episodes. <laughs> Very thank you, man. freaking cool. Uh, well, ho- hopefully we can get to 500 and chase after you, man. Keep enough <laughs> enough of our stories, enough of our stories that matter that needs to be told. So easy job for me. <laughs> amen. Uh, amen. All right, y'all. Peace out. Thanks for uh, listening. Appreciate it. Thanks, AJ. Thank you so much for tuning in. That was a really, really good conversation with AJ. Didn't really expect him to share too much about his personal life, but Grateful that he did, which I think gives us a lot of context into why he does what he does, why he's so passionate. And he really has no other choice but to continue to create music for all of us to enjoy for years and years to come. So, AJ, thanks again for coming on the show and cannot wait to see what you have in store for us in the coming years. If you found this show fun, inspirational, and you resonated with it, please do share it with a friend or two. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And also be sure to hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel at The Eurasian Americans. Follow and like us on Instagram and on Facebook at The Eurasian Americans and encourage your friends to do the same. You can shoot me a note with your comments, questions, or a request to have certain guests on the show. Or you can even apply to be on the guest yourself. We'd love to have you on the show and share your own unique Asian American story. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been your host, Jerry Wan. And dear Americans, let's stay safe, let's stay healthy, and let's stay happy.